0: But my husband, I'm pretty slow as a wife. You know, I was raised a rebellious Berkeley girl. So to obey my husband is not something that comes naturally to me. He's been, he's been asking me for years and years and years to wear something on my head to church. So today, I finally did it. And he wanted me in some sort of majestic boat, you know, church hat. I said, you want me to stand there and preach the word with a hat like that on my head? Are you out of your mind, man? <laughs> so I tried to get away with the smallest I could I could manage. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to just lead us in a prayer, please. Um, Lord, we want your word to come forth today. I don't think anybody in this room wants to hear from the preacher. They want to hear from you, Lord. They want to know that you are speaking through the preacher. Oh, Lord, let it be that my words are quickened by your Holy Spirit. You know the needs of the people in the room today. May it be that the word that you've had me to prepare today ministers as you would see fit and according to your good pleasure. In the name of Jesus. Sometimes I come to you with some fire and some brimstone and some lightning bolts and spankings and today is is a very mild message, very mild message, and yet though it's mild and I was going to say, you know, we're going to be out of here early, but whenever a preacher gets in front of a microphone, (laughs) they just don't want to give it up, so I might just have you here for the full hour, but... I think not, because it's, it's a mild message. It's a simple message, but yet uh, it's a message that contains the good news about Jesus Christ. Just because, I mean, in a, in a way you could take any little point in the Bible and start there, and you would always end up with Jesus. You would always end up with a message of salvation, and you'd always end up with life over death. And, and the themes that come up are, are fairly predictable, because once you learn what's going on there... You're going to see it in all the Bible, all the parts of the Bible, the Old Testament and the Prophets and the Torah, the Law of Moses, and everywhere. It's going to be before your eyes in a way that you haven't seen it in the past. So today we're going to we're going to think about something very simple, but hopefully it'll it'll speak to someone in this room and it'll speak of Jesus. Uh, Pastor Marcus likes us to title our messages. Some of the title of my message today is. Reclining at Jesus' table. Reclining that's lying down at Jesus' table. And where we're gonna start is our beloved Psalm twenty three, verse two. Verses one and two. So I know you all can just recite it. You can stop there. He makes me to lie down. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Psalm 23, as you know, pictures the people of God as sheep and pictures God as the good shepherd who's caring for his sheep. And he is the one that makes them to lie down. He cares for them so tenderly. He has such concern for them, even at the expense of his own life, he's willing to put himself in danger just so his flock is safe. University of Illinois, Department of Animal Sciences. Here's what they have to say. Sheep lie down to sleep and to rest. While resting, they are usually chewing their cud. Another word for that is ruminating. So resting and ruminating that is thinking deeply about something. When we talk about, in human experience, ruminating, we're talking about thinking deeply about things. Sheep sheep ruminate by chewing their cud. So in a way, when we're thinking deeply about things, we're sort of chewing things over in our minds, right? So when we have a chance to sit and rest and chew things over in our minds, we're like the sheep. and And the Department of Animal Sciences says that Resting and ruminating are very important for the mental well-being of the animal. And Philip Keller, who is a shepherd, who actually owns sheep and does that as his life's business, wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And he says that before a sheep, let me just tell you a little bit about the book, because it's a wonderful book. It's out of print, but you can get it on Amazon. A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. He shows how that psalm speaks very, very beautifully to the actual experience of a shepherd and a sheep in real life. That is to say that the spiritual reality described in Psalm 23 has parallels in the real sheep herding business. Anyway, so he says that before a sheep can feel comfortable lying down, they have to be free of four things. Free of fear of predators. They have to be free of tension. Like if one sheep is Messing with another sheep, that makes them tense. They need to be free of the aggravation of pests like flies in their eyes and stuff. And they need to be free of hunger. Otherwise, guess what? They're not going to lie down. Because to lie down, the sheep needs to have these burdens lifted off of them. And it made me think, you know, what conditions do we need to sleep? I can tell you that <laughs> when my husband can be deep in sleep I always go to sleep after him because I'm a sort of a night owl and he's an early bird. So I'll be up reading or whatever and and I'll hear his voice in you know about 10:30 at night is the door locked? Did you lock the door? <laughs> and likewise for me to sleep he usually has his radio in his ear and you'll hear me say "Turn your radio down. <laughs> he's, Turn your radio down, please. <laughs> so I need quiet. I need darkness. I can't stand it if there's any light. My husband needs to have the sense that, the, that nobody's going to come walking in the door. A sense of safety. sense of protection. Locked doors. Privacy. If there's people walking in and out, you're not going to sleep. You probably know what your own needs for sleep are. And uh, they differ. But like sheep, we need to rest, and we need to ruminate, a little chewing on our thoughts a little bit, and if we're in the midst of a threatening situation, it's not likely that we're going to be able to fall asleep very easily, and that can even be, you know, the lawsuits, um, chewing them too much, too much ruminating, like can't stop, a bad uh, interaction with a family member, replay, 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 right, what I should have said, what I could have said, what I could have done. Right? These things keep us awake, too. Um, I couldn't help thinking of the movie 12 Years a Slave. Did, did did any of you see it? Well, there's a scene in which these slaves, who are just exhausted from their labors, they they would they really need to be sleeping, but the master, in his uh, self-indulgence and in his drunkenness, um, orders them to come and and sing and dance for him and entertain him in the middle of the night and they're like zombies they're so exhausted but do they have a choice? No he's the master so they have to go and lose their sleep Um, the important thing to note about this he makes me to lie down in green pastures idea is that it's the shepherd that makes us to lie down in green pastures we don't do it on our own if we are to understand that we are the sheep and in, t- in terms of the, the actual shepherd with his actual sheep, it's not that he pushes them over, literally. What he does is he, he creates the conditions that enable them to have that sense of relaxation. In other words, those four things that prevent them from relaxing, he's responsible for remediating those. He's the one that keeps the predators away. The sheep can't keep the predators away from themselves. He's the ones that will separate out The sheep that are not getting along, and you go over here, and you go over here, so then they're not tense with one another. He's the one that puts the ointment on their faces so that the the flies aren't bugging them in their eyes, right? And he's the one that feeds them, makes sure that they go to a good pasture that's full of food for them. It's the shepherd that does the work and not the sheep. The sheep have no power to create their own sense of security and safety so that they can rest so that they can lie down in green pastures and rest. Uh, When I read this very short verse in Psalm 139, which says, and this is the psalmist speaking to God, When I awake, I am still with you. When I awake, I am still with you. What that says to me is that the psalmist says, I go to sleep, but Lord, you don't. I wake up and there you are. It's kind of like a child waking up and and mommy standing over the bed. Yes, I've been watching you sleep. You're so beautiful when you're sleeping. I wouldn't let you sleep by yourself. You're going to be just fine. When I awake, I am still with you. That sense of his presence, even when we're so vulnerable. I mean, I really wonder why God made sleep. Because it makes us vulnerable for such a long period of time. Psalm 121. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. God doesn't check out. We check out. He doesn't check out. He keeps watching over us. Psalm 4.8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. So this is that idea that the sheep doesn't have the power to create their own sense of safety. It is God himself who is our shepherd and cares so much about his sheep that he creates an atmosphere of calm and ease and peace. Um, where do I go from here? Well, the reason that I'm thinking about these things, I guess I'll share that with you because that's really where I'm headed. Why am I thinking about it? What it means to lie down. This April, we're at the end of April now. Early in April was the Passover, which is a feast of God that is celebrated by Jews all around the world. And those of us Jews who believe in Jesus, we honor it sometimes too. Not all of us, but when we choose to honor it, we have the privilege of seeing Jesus in the whole ceremony. And that's why we honor it. And as I was preparing the Passover this April, for the first time I took note of one of the Jewish traditions of the Passover that I hadn't really paid much attention to before. Um, But we see Jesus himself observing this tradition, even though it's not biblically mandated. It is a Jewish tradition that probably dates back to the Second Temple. Um, And that is that he was reclining to eat. Um, And I think that was common in those days. They didn't have those high tables and chairs that we have now. When you ate a meal, you reclined at the table. In Matthew 26, we read, The disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. He was reclining. And then we even read, I mean, it was kind of like a puppy pile. John is even leaning on him, on his bosom, right? It's, it's a very casual scene. In the Jewish tradition of observing the Passover, uh, the youngest child is instructed to ask questions. And then the adults officiating, they answer the questions. This is how the Jews in the Passover uh, teach The traditions from generation to generation. So they have the youngest child ask four questions. One of those questions is this. Why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat either reclining or sitting. Why on this night do we only recline to eat? And then the adult who's responsible for answering these questions at the Passover service, he gives the answer, on this night, we recline because in ancient times our ancestors were slaves in Egypt. Only free people ate reclining at table, not slaves. So we recline at the Passover table to remember that our ancestors in Egypt were not free until God delivered them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Okay? Now we have an opportunity To connect reclining not just with rest, which we know that the Lord gives to us, but also with freedom. With freedom. If you remember the story of the Passover as it's related in Exodus 12, you will recall that those Israelites, when they were eating that very first Passover meal before they fled from Egypt, they were not reclining. They were standing up. They were practically hovering at the door, ready to go, because in Exodus twelve eleven, the Lord commands Moses to tell the people, and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I know what it's like to eat standing up. I wonder if anybody else ever hovers over the stove and kind of almost you know you've got your staff in your hand and your loin skirted and you're you just uh, <laughs> gotta go is there graciousness in that? Is there no gracious is when you place the the dishes nicely and you and you put the food out and it's heated <laughs> and you, you've bothered to place a napkin for your husband and, and, and you sit down and you take your ease and you take your food and a lot of times when you eat like that you know you'll get a stomach ache or it's not good <laughs> there's no ease there's no relaxation in that there's no rest there's no possibility of rumination as the sheep needs for their mental well-being on that first Passover when they were eating standing up, um, they were still slaves. They were not yet in freedom. They lived very difficult lives in anxiety and fear. They lived under a very oppressive and cruel government under the leadership of a pharaoh who did not have their well-being in mind. And they were about to be (laughs) chased around the countryside by a marauding band of charioteers who were out to kill them. Uh, they were uncertain of their future. They didn't really know why God was bringing them out. It, there was so much anxiety uh, that it's hardly a picture of any kind of relaxation and rest. And that's a good way to contrast, like, where we come to because that's where they were, but they didn't stay there. Um, I, I have a, a dear new friend named Khalida. She is a former Muslim. And she has a most extraordinary life story. Uh, part of her life story after being orphaned uh, is that at age nine she was sold into slavery in, uh, amongst the Bedouin nomads in uh, Jordan. Uh, if you have any doubts as to whether slavery actually still exists, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. It's not, it's not an ancient thing. It's a very current thing, particularly among the Islamic people. She tells me that she was uh, not allowed to eat at the table with the family. Certainly, she didn't do anything pleasant with the family. So if they happened to have any scraps of food left over, they would give them to her. But she certainly couldn't eat it in their presence. She had to go wherever it was that she was. She had a camel that she was uh, assigned to take care of. So she probably went and ate with her camel. But there was no um, welcoming to the table. There was no, no love in it. That was a sense of eating that, that just uh, was imbued with rejection and the reality of being a slave rather than a free person. So we have Jesus... Sitting at the Passover table, that's the last supper that he was eating with his disciples before he was crucified. And he spent his last hours with his disciples reclining with them. As a way of celebrating his ancestors, my ancestors, freedom from bondage in Egypt. And just as it is by the work of the shepherd that the sheep are made to lie down in green pastures because the shepherd has constructed an environment for them or created an atmosphere that He's done the work. The shepherd has done the work so that they can be at peace and be at rest. So it was with Jesus. And now we come to understand what is the work of the good shepherd that makes it so that the work that we can't do we don't have to try and do because he's done it for us. Amen. He went out that night and he, he spent some time in the Garden of Gethsemane. His disciples were comfortable enough and maybe drunk enough from the liturgical wine they'd been drinking all evening to fall right asleep. There they were in sleep. He was mentally preparing the hardship that he was about to experience. He was in and out of various so-called courts. With the various Jewish authorities and Pilate and Herod throughout the night. And then the next day he went to work. To do a work that the Lord purposed for him to do for us. And what was that work? He went to the cross. And his work, when he completed it, was perfect. It was exactly as his father had purposed. He finished it. He said, it is finished. And it was a completed work. There was nothing left undone. And there was nothing that was falling short. He didn't half step. He went the whole walk. And he did this because we don't have the power to do it for ourselves we are the sheep who don't have the power to create the atmosphere for our own rest only he can do that and we have a shepherd who wants us to rest in his finished work so if there's someone here who's a doer who who thinks that uh, it is by their own force of will that things are going to be accomplished in their lives and that they're going to achieve what they need to have spiritual rest, it's not going to happen. It doesn't come from us. We just simply don't have that power. But he does. So our, our, our job then is so much simpler. Instead of having to do all that work, all we need to do is enter into his rest. Just like that shepherd, just like that shepherd frees us from, from hunger. For example, we read in Deuteronomy 8.3 that we have a, a source of nourishment through the word of God. God humbled you and caused you to hunger and fed you. He let you be hungry so he could feed you. With manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We know that God blesses us with abundance so that we're able to eat physical food. But the food that he gives us that's more important, more of eternal value, of lasting value, more nourishing, is the food of the word of God. And he's given us that freely. We don't have to pay for it. As he reminds us in Isaiah 55, come and get what's free. Why are you paying money for that? Which is of no value. Come and eat the word of God. Be nourished by that. So there we see the shepherd feeding his sheep so that they are not hungry. How about uh, being free of fear of our enemies? We read in Isaiah 54, No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. So the Lord is creating an environment where we're free from hunger and where we're free from fear of our enemies. How about those tensions of getting along with one another, chafing shoulders against people who irritate and make us tense and anxious? Well, I read in 2 Corinthians that God has given us a certain kind of comfort that we can then use to comfort others. He made us to be in fellowship with one another, but He didn't leave us to our own kind of nasty natures, did He? With His Holy Spirit, He equips us to be kind, to be forgiving. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So he pours love into our hearts. He teaches us what forgiveness means so that instead of harboring bitterness and resentment towards one another, we don't have to have that tension. We can be at peace with our brothers and if something comes up that causes tension, we can take care of it. We have a means. He even gives us instruction how to talk to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ to solve issues. So that's removed. That's removed. Then there's those pests. How about those pests? The flies in your eyes. It becomes so distracting that you can't even think straight, right? Something so little. Next thing you know, I mean, I've had days like this, where there's a fly, and I'm trying to think, and and then and then I try and think, and then there's the fly and th- <laughs> And then. I say, it's time to construct a weapon. And I go get my rolled up newspaper and I just lay it down next to me, just waiting. Wait until he lays down long enough for me to slam him. And the first five times I miss, because I'm not as quick as I used to be. But finally, the pest is gone. And we have pests. Let's talk about some of our pests. Oh, gosh. I bet you if I asked for some suggestions of pests in this room, you'd be able to give me some. The little foxes, the Bible calls them. Sometimes maybe they're even demonic. I don't know. But most of the time, maybe they're just us. Just us. Like running the tape loop that I was talking about before. Destructive thoughts bad habits, distractions, shameful things that we do when we're alone that we wouldn't want anybody in this room to know about. Pests. Pests. Am I the only one that has pests? Okay. Well, the Lord has taken care of all these things, the, the pests, The tension, the hunger, and the fear. Did I give you a fear scripture? I don't think I did. How about Psalm 4.8? In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. We're in safety. We're safe. We're in the the arms of the best shepherd who keeps us. So this shepherd of ours who went to the cross and did a work that created an environment in which we could be free from these encumbrances that keep us from resting, this is our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews, we are admonished to enter into that rest. Hebrews 4, verses 9 and eleven. So there remains there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest. And the ones who don't enter are accused of disobedience. We are invited, we are invited to rest in the Lord, to recline with him at his table. And then he gives us a glimpse of the future. When he was in Capernaum, Jesus encountered a centurion. The centurion was not of the nation Israel. He was a Roman. He was a Gentile. But he demonstrated such faith in Jesus' ability to heal his servant that Jesus was moved by it. And, And he said something very interesting to this centurion. He said, I say to you that many will come from east and west. And there he's referring to most of you. I guess all of you are Gentiles. He's referring to you. Many will come from east and west rather than uh, the Jews. He's saying outside of the nation Israel, many people are going to come. And what are they going to do? They will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now we can debate and discuss how literally we are to take that statement. Is there really going to be a table? Is there really going to be food at it? Are there really going to be people sitting around or reclining at the table in real life in the kingdom of God? Is there going to be a wedding feast as we read about in Revelation after all sin is defeated and even death itself is cast into the lake of fire and we don't have to be bothered by that 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 guy with the tail and the horns anymore? Is there going to be a real table where we're reclining with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Or is that just figurative? Are we to understand that symbolically? Well, I don't know. I'm willing to take it either way. In any case, Jesus is using the picture of reclining at table. That picture of freedom from slavery. That picture of rest and ease. Abraham is not standing over the stove, picking the green beans cold out of the refrigerator pot. He is reclining at table with the Lord, with the patriarchs. And even the centurion is going to be with him. Which means that even we who enter into his rest are going to be at that table, reclining at table with the Lord Jesus and the patriarchs and all the saints. We're not slaves to sin anymore. If we've chosen to live for Jesus, we've made a decision to leave the days of slavery behind us. To cross that Red Sea like the Israelites did and come into the new land of freedom. Living with God's purposes and intentions for us and our lives. As free people who have the privilege of reclining at the table. So we are invited. And those of you who have not made that answer to the invitation. You need to know that the invitation is there for you. The invitation is for you. It is for everyone. It is for everyone. Jesus did the work because we couldn't. He came as a God-man, as a man who was fully man and fully God. He gave his life, as a sacrificial offering for the Lord to pay the sin debt of all the people. And then he rose from the dead so that we could also have victory over death. Even death is thrown into the lake of fire. And we will not partake of that second death if we are in him. This is the good news. The good news is that we don't have to do the work. The good news is that we enter into his rest because he did the work. We enter into the finished work of the cross. God tells Moses, and by way of Moses, the people of Israel, and by way of them, he tells us, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. He says the needy will lie down in security. And what does Jesus tell us? He says, he says you will find rest for your souls reclining at the table with Jesus. That's my message. Out early. Okay, one more thing is just to pray with you. Amen. Okay. Let's let's close our eyes now. And if there's anyone in the room who has not accepted the invitation to the wedding feast, this this beautiful table that's going to be so well dressed and so well equipped with nourishing abundant food for our bodies such as they may be in a glorified state and for our spirits that feed On the word of God. And the joy at the table. Imagine the joy at the table. Imagine the questions that you're going to want to ask Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sitting and reclining at the table with them. There may be some who have not accepted the invitation to this wedding feast. And it is absolutely open to you. Should you choose to take it? Should the Holy Spirit be working on your heart in such a way that you want to be part of that? You want to say yes. And so I encourage you to say yes today. And if that's you saying yes today, you need to come at some point and talk to one of the ministers. And if it's you who are the one who still clings to the idea that you can do it yourself, that you can create that atmosphere of rest and relaxation and rumination that peace in the Lord of your own force of will from your own good ideas maybe the case is that you've come to the end of your good ideas and you know that there are limits to yourself maybe today is the day that you're willing to say to Jesus Jesus I've loved you for a long time but I've been clinging to my own ways in my own power thinking that i i had some power when i have none you have it all and i give it all to you freely and i love you and i ask you to be the lord of my life and i ask you to to be my shepherd and let me just be this sheep that lies down in green pastures let me just be let me do what i'm good at which is to be a sheep and let you do what you're good at lord which is to be my shepherd We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your, your blessings of freedom and peace and relaxation and rest in you. We receive it and we accept it in the name of Jesus. And for your name's sake, amen.